I'm a child of God. Have in my hand powerful word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn around and look at your neighbor and say, I love you. I didn't say yell it, just tell them. <laughs> want everybody to know. Okay, there you go. <clears throat> you know, we don't tell each other we love each other enough, do we? We need to tell each other that we love each other more every day. And um, there are some days that we love each other better than other days. Amen? <laughs> but nevertheless, we need to love. How many of you have ever been on a family trip and uh, kids in the car, kids young, and they ask the question, are we there yet? <laughs> Read a story this week uh, in preparation for this message, uh, actually a couple weeks ago, but uh, a couple lived in Florida and they were on a three-hour trip to Disney World and the daughter's in the back seat, Dad, when we, are we there yet? And he would always answer that question by saying, yes, we're here. And she would laugh and she'd say, I don't see Disney World. And he would say, that's right. So don't ask again until you see characters, cartoon characters who can talk. And she would say, okay, okay. And then she'd pause a moment. She'd say, hey, Dad, are we there yet? <laughs> oh, boy. I can remember the times when the kids would always want to know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've, and really the essence of that is that they've done everything that there is to do between here and there. And so they're just frustrated. They're tired. They want, they want something. They've watched all those movies you've put in there. They've played the games. They've counted the cars. They've done it all. Are we there yet? Seems to come time after time after time. But yet I think Christians do the same thing as kids do. You see, Jesus said, I'm coming back. But we keep asking, are we there yet? Is he here yet? Why isn't he here yet? When's he going to come? We're kind of the same way. The sad part is if we don't even ask the question, isn't it? But is he here yet? People keep asking that question. They've been asking it from the very beginning. In 2 Peter, Peter wrote, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you know why Jesus hasn't come back yet? Because of what He said right there in the last part of that passage in Second Peter. He desires to reach as many people as He possibly can before He comes back. That's why. Imagine... If Jesus had come just one year ago, that for some of you, you've made some recommitments to the Lord just in the last year. You may know someone who actually became a Christian in the last year, and if Jesus had come a year before, they'd be lost. Think about that. Think about that. So what do we do while we wait? Well, Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 gives us four traits of what we should be doing 
as Christ followers, as we await the return of Jesus, and it's to me a very appropriate way to end our series on how to prepare for the end of the world. Let's go to our text in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up at verse 1. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as when it came to you. Pray, too, that we will be rescued from wicked and evil people, for not everyone is a believer, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one, and we are confident in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we commanded you. May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. The first trait that Paul is encouraging us to develop is that we should always believe the best. Always believe the best. I love what Paul says in these verses that he believes uh, that they will do the right thing. He says they both do and will do the things that we command. You know, it's really important that we keep doing the things that God has commanded us to do. Don't stop. Because you never know when that breakthrough is going to come. You never know that that word that gets shared at that right time may be the word that breaks through into that person's heart and in that person's life. So keep at it. Don't quit. And what's, what's difficult sometimes to understand is that you may not be the one that actually says the word that breaks through. You may end up just being the watering or the planting of that seed, you see. And God's going to send the harvest. It's not about us. It's about God. So when we realize that we're in partnership with Him, it makes it a little bit easier. Let me put it a different way. Paul's dealing with unreasonable and wicked people. And the word unreasonable here is, is, uh, is, is truly what it means. You ever talk to somebody that's unreasonable? Uh, recently, I'm glad the election's over, by the way, because recently on Facebook, during that election season, people were really mean and ugly and nasty, weren't they? And now, praise the Lord, we can go back to those obnoxious e-cards they send out and the invitations to play every kind of goofy game like Farmville or whatever. And it just is amazing how many different games that people invite you to play. But here's what happens to us. We can start believing the worst in people. We can start believing that everyone is unreasonable and wicked who doesn't have faith. But it's really not true. You see, as Christians, we shouldn't insulate ourselves from those outside the Lord. We should be willing to associate with them. We don't have to act like them. We just have to associate with them. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. If you're at a friend's house and they drink a beer, doesn't mean you have to. If you're at a friend's house and they do something that you think is, is not good, you don't have to do that. You could always leave. You could always go to a different room. You see, there's a way that you can still associate with them, but you don't have to dis, dis, disown them. Because who's going to lead them to Christ? Maybe God wants you to do that. Maybe God wants you to do that. Now you've got to stand firm in your faith. You don't need to compromise your faith. Never compromise your faith. Just because you want to be accepted. That's not what I'm talking about. But you can begin to see people as unreasonable and wicked really, really easy. Girls, you date a loser and then you think all men are jerks. Guys, you'll trust somebody and they'll betray you and you think, well, you can't trust anybody. 
It can even affect our relationship with God. You go through a difficult time and you think, well, God isn't really, isn't really with me. And I'm not going to serve a God that's going to bring this stuff in my life. Forget it. I thought he was a God of love. And I thought he was a God of forgiveness and a God of compassion. Well, he is. He is all those things. But most of the time, the things that come into our life are not what God put on us. It's what we put on ourselves because of the stupid choices we make. Can I get, I'll raise my hand first. Anybody want to join me? <laughs> Simply because God didn't work it out the way that we hoped he would, we can start to see him in a negative way. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let Satan take you down that path. I want you to learn to believe the best, even though I know things don't always work out the way you hoped they would. Sometimes it goes even poorly. Believe the best. I'd rather believe the best and be disappointed occasionally than to be negative and live my life waiting for that other shoe to drop. Well, here it comes. Well, I know this is going to happen. Well, that started. Well, here it comes. You know anybody like that? The first thing they say is negative stuff. First thing they say. Once you plant the negativism, what happens? Boom. Now I'm going to do a little bragging this morning, if I could. You all have been on this journey with me. I have, as of today, I've lost 72 pounds. Is that awesome? I was looking at this coat this morning. I thought, I could get Cindy in here with me. Look at this thing. Almost double-breasted. And this used to be the only one I could wear. This month I went on a challenge and, and, and uh, I lost 22 pounds in 23 days and 13 inches from head to toe. My hair is starting to grow back. Can you see a little bit of it? <laughs> my fingernails are slowly but surely coming back. So Wednesday was my last day of this challenge I was on. I went and I drew blood because the doctor wanted me to draw blood. So I did that, went and I worked out. Man, I was, and I, I weighed and measured. I was on top of the world. And at noon, I get a call. And the nurse, my doctor's nurse said, I need you to go to the ER immediately. I said, well, who's there? <laughs> I, 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 told me, I mean, pastor, they, they're sending me to the ER. To, and she said, no, you need to go. I said, what for? She said, your potassium is at 6.6. .6. I said, so? She said, so you need to go. I said, oh, 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 okay. So I went to the ER, and I was sitting there in the ER, and the girl, she comes in, she goes, why are you here? I said, well, my potassium 6.6. She says, oh, man. So she starts typing stuff in the computer and starts moving around, and all of a sudden, and I, I just looking at her. So I asked her, I said, why am I here? She said, well, your potassium's too high. I said, so? She said, so? You understand it could make your heart stop? I said, hey, start moving. What are you doing? <laughs> And I still don't know what happened. I was there two hours and they sent me home. I don't know if I'm better or not. But I'm better because I'm not going to let Satan win that battle. Now Thursday rolled around. I was glad Wednesday I got through because Thursday was Thanksgiving, right? Oh man, I had two pieces of pecan pie. Never tasted better. I had a lot of food on Thursday. Actually, I only ate one plate full. I was proud of myself but I did have a little bit more dessert than I should have. And then Cindy threw the pie away. She said, I'll help you be positive. Out in the trash. But you know, we've, sometimes we just wait for that other shoe to drop, don't we? And we get to thinking negative things when we don't need to think of negative things. 
Joshua said it this way. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Ever watch kids pray? Kids are incredible prayers. And the younger they are and they learn to pray, the more powerful their prayers seem because they have such great faith. They just pray it and they just trust God that He's going to take care of it. I ran across this story I have to share with you. It was about a preacher. He had a son that was three, and he'd, you know, they'd of course have been encouraging their kids to pray, and he he picked up on it real fast. He, he prayed every day for his dad to come home from work safe from the office, and then he then he would tell his dad, Hey dad, I prayed for you. One night they were praying at the dinner table, and the little boy was it was his time to pray. And so he said, God, thank you for this food and for our family and friends, and thank you for bringing daddy home safely. And I pray he buys me lots of cars next time we go to Target. <laughs> then the preacher said, the boy looked up at him and winked. And then he said, Dad, I prayed for you. See, he thinks that if he prays for his dad, that his dad then is in a contractual obligation to do what he wants. But what the dad's really excited about is that the boy believes in prayer and is excited that he's praying, even though it may be a little misguided. So let's always believe the best. Now let's look at our second trait. Pick up at verse 6. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they receive from us. For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. So always believe the best. And then the second trait is choose your friends carefully. Choose your friends carefully. Notice what Paul writes here. He says that you withdraw from those who aren't walking with God and that you follow His example. Now there's times when you literally, and I told you to mix in with those that aren't believers, but there's times when you got to withdraw from them because they're beginning to pull you back into a lifestyle that you don't need to go back to. Amen? So walk away from them. <clears throat> there are certain people you need to detach your life from. Just detach from them because they're not going to come and bring you to the Lord. Now there's some I want you to keep working with because some of them are fertile land or, or fertile soil that God is trying to work through and, and change in their life. But there's some that aren't going to change and they're going to pull you down. Uh-uh. Detach yourself. Detach yourself. I'm not sure who wrote this, but the author said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So who are you hanging around? Who are you spending most of your time with? Because you become like them. King David and Jonathan are the best examples of what friends should be like. In fact, in 1 Samuel, it, it describes it really, really well. It said, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. For that, from that day, <clears throat> Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. This exchange happened soon after David killed Goliath and took his sword. And the sword becomes the one that David carried with him. Not the sword that he took from Goliath. He carried this other sword. 
the sword that Jonathan gave him. Instead, he kept that sword and because it represented the friendship. And every time he'd sharpen it, he would think of his best friend. In fact, in Proverbs, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Iron sharpens iron, so we should be sharpening each other. Honing each other. So how does a friend do that? In three ways. And Chris is to be on a mouse click each one, one, two, three. First one. The first way we should sharpen our friends is by asking tough questions. Real friends don't just talk about the weather or TV shows. They, they talk about the stuff that really, really matters. A friend asked me if my relationship with God and my wife and my kids is where it should be. I have these two guys that I meet with, met with over 10 years. And we have in that meeting an open uh, relationship to ask any question we want to ask based on the conversation as it's going in that particular morning. But I ask them, and if I say, oh, it's pretty good, then, then they press me and they say, nope, not good enough, not good enough. They want to know exactly how, the, how my relationship's going. They don't want to know exactly how I'm doing in my study. They want to know exactly how I'm doing in my prayer life. Describe for me what that looks like. Describe for me how, the, how you're growing in that way. You know, what has God said to you in the last week? That's what a real friend does. That's what a real friend does. You know, people who will say, hey, well, let's see what happens. That's really code for it. It's never going to happen. Never going to happen. So the first way that we uh, can uh, uh, sharpen each other is by asking the tough questions. The second way is by offering godly counsel. A good friend gives godly advice. Proverbs 27 says this, Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Think about that. You ever smell something and said, man, that smells clean and refreshing? That's what wise counsel does. Wise counsel from a friend is supposed to give you clarity and make you feel better, but that only comes from people who truly know Jesus because the counsel is going to be from God. Third way we can sharpen each other is by setting a godly example. There are, there's a few things more powerful than the power of a godly example. <laughs> if you, you know, I, I go to Orlando four or five times a year and I'm mentoring with a young man named Nelson Searcy. And uh, there's 20, 25 of pastors from all over the country that come and I've, I've befriended a few of them. And uh, one of the hotels that we stayed in there in, in, the, in the Disney area, that's why we stay there, I don't know. But uh, it was like a maze trying to find, I was trying to get out to the swimming pool just so I could sit outside, take in a little bit of sun, get some more vitamin D in my body. And I was just kind of looking for that and it was like a maze. But uh, in fact, I'd gotten lost a couple of times. But uh, on the uh, uh, second afternoon when we got through with classes and so forth, a uh, fellow preacher and I, you know, I told him I was going out to the pool. He said, hey, I'd like to go with you. So he's, we're tagging along. We're walking along. And, man, we're cutting here, cutting there, cutting there. Just, just, and we made it to the pool. And the guy looks at me and says, how in the world did we do that? I said, well, I've been following that guy with the blown up alligator. <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes you just need good godly advice. I want you to get where you need to go. Because everyone's following somebody. Everybody's following somebody. Everyone has a picture of what it means to be a man or a woman, and that's what they're modeling their lives after. Are you following godly people? Are you patterning your lives after godly folks? 1 Corinthians 11 says, Follow my example. Paul says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Man, that's a tremendous statement, isn't it? 
Are you a good model? Are you a model worth following? Paul said, follow me. Man. Let's go to our third trait. Always believe the best. Choose your friends carefully. And then let's pick it up at verse 10. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and to work and work to earn their own living. So always believe the best. Choose your friends carefully. And then the third trait that Paul's encouraging us to develop is to give your best effort. Give your best effort. Read about a guy who was working his way through college and uh, he was in the construction business briefly. He was just a common laborer. He was, uh, his job was ripping roof tiles off and then throwing them into a dumpster. Really wasn't glorious work, but it helped pay the bills. The guy who trained him was named Martin. And the only reason that Martin still had a job was because he was the contractor's nephew. But Martin was lazy. He was probably the laziest individual that this particular guy had ever seen. In fact, he would stop this guy from working so much, Martin would come up and he'd say, hey, throw a few tiles in the dumpster and then let's just walk around on the roof for a little while. He said, after all, we're just taking, taking it one break at a time. One break at a time. Well, that was the motto that Martin lived by and it's no wonder that he's on government assistance today. I want you to see that there's something very important in this passage. The work that you do reveals the work that God is doing in you. Working isn't just about getting paid. It's about having a testimony. I read a story of a preacher who had two friends. Both were teachers. One teacher taught in the United States and the other lives in the Middle East. Started a computer school in, in his country. And he started the computer school so he could stay in the country. But his real objective was to share the gospel so which one of those two is really a missionary? Well, both are. Both are. The problem is that one of them doesn't even know it. And the other lives by it. Because here's the fallacy that we believe, is that missionaries go to other countries and the rest of us stay home. But the Bible teaches that all of us are missionaries and ministers. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me let you in on a little secret. You're not a teacher or a student. You're not a lawyer or an administrative assistant or a construction worker or a realtor or a mortgage broker or a banker or a mechanic or a cop or a nurse. You're a minister disguised <laughs> as a banker, mechanic, or cop. Ephesians 4, And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Pastors are, are set up to equip you for the work of ministry. When a class is offered, take it. Don't skip it. Don't, don't skip it. You might say, well, I'm, you, you might be saying, I'm no saint. There are two types of people. There's saints and there's ain'ts. <laughs> Which one are you? Everyone is, who is a Christian, God has set you apart. And you're in your work environment because God has set you apart. And there's a reason if you're the only Christian in your office is that God needs some kind of light shine in that darkness where you work. Paul adds the line, if you don't work, neither should you eat. Why? 
Because your work reveals the work that God is doing in you and you aren't willing to work and you can't work and you can work. I mean, if you're not willing to work and you can work, it shows you don't care about your God-given responsibilities. A man of God does whatever must be done to make sure that his family is provided for because that's a responsibility given to him by God. You may not make the amount of money that you make now, but go to work. Well, I don't want to go to McDonald's. Why not? If you if be sitting at home, of course, we live in a culture now that you can sit at home and the government will give you pay for two years for doing nothing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, if your boss asks you to do something legal, well, illegal, don't do it. If you feel that's a problem, you get another job. A guy that I read about had a job some years ago selling keys that could open any car. After two hours, he learned from the boss that the keys really didn't work. But he's selling them anyway. Well, this guy decided to quit. Not He didn't complain about the system or the office or the man or the boss. He just simply quit because he felt ethically bound to not cheat people because he worked for God. And this job didn't allow him to do that. You see, God is a greater calling in your life than the job that you have. And if someone's asking you to do something that's not right, stop. You don't have to make a big deal about it. Just stop. If your boss is asking you to asking you to do things that doesn't violate God's word, then you're compelled to obey or go to work for you know for somebody else. But don't stay and complain or create discord because it dishonors God. But I'm in a job where I'm being paid too little, you might say. Were you forced to take that job? Did somebody hold a gun to your head and say, you can only work at this job and no other job? No, you find one, you work, and then you keep looking. Amen? And you don't quit one till you have one. Amen? See, that's what's the problem. People get in and they say, well, I quit. Walk away. Teenagers do that all the time. They think, well, they're a dime a dozen. No, they're not. A reputation follows you that you're not a good worker. I had a young person I helped find two jobs. And after they walked off the second one and then came to me and asked me to be a reference for them, I said, no. I said, I can't do that. I said, you're asking me to, to recommend you, and so you're putting my reputation to question. No, I won't do that. Oh, they left the church. They got mad. It cussed me out. And I thought, whoa, okay. God love you out there. It's amazing. But I can't pay the bills with my salary. The boss won't pay me more. Well, are you the highest paid person in your company? No. So the problem isn't the boss. He won't pay you more. I said... He can't pay you more because you're not producing enough for him to do that. Well, my boss is discriminating against my religious beliefs. He gets mad because I read the Bible during work hours. Well, good for your boss. He didn't hire you to read your Bible. He hired you to work. You find another time to carve out to read your Bible. He gives you a lunch hour, a lunch break, half hour, whatever. Read it then. Read it on your time, not on his time. Are you following me so far? Now, this is counter to what our culture is teaching you right now. Totally counter to what this culture is teaching you. Washington, D.C. is not teaching you this principle. They're teaching you to be dependent. The only person you need to be dependent upon is Almighty God. The only one. Only one. 
You're getting paid to work. So honor God's by working hard while you're at work. Now let's go to trait number four, verse 13. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so that they will be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would a brother or sister. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. Here's my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. I do this in all of my letters to prove they are from me. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Always believe the best. Choose your friends carefully. Give your best effort. And then number four, keep doing the right thing. Keep doing the right thing. You want to know what the problem is with doing the right thing? We don't always see the payoff right away. And that's why many people grow weary. But the reality is most of us are really good at starting things and not so good at finishing things. Most of us are good at starting diets. I'm a living example of a guy that started a hundred diets but never finished. It's fun now to not starve myself to death and still lose weight. That's really fun. At, at the gym where I work out, it says it's about it's 30% workout, 70% diet. It really is. What you put in is what you pay for. Now that pecan pie Thursday, I'm not going to lie to you, that was the best tasting pecan pie I've ever had. Well, not ever had, but in a long time. And my daughter-in-law made apple pie. Oh, I forgot to tell you about that one. I ate some of that one too. And the candied yams, I forgot to tell you about those, but I, I ate some of them. I did have turkey though. So that balanced it all out, right? Having turkey. <laughs> I mean, we start reading books, we don't finish them. 90, do you, you don't you realize that 95% of books get started but never ended? We're good at starting relationships. In fact, we're masters at that. It's estimated that $20 billion a year is spent on weddings. The average wedding today in America is, runs $20,000. Why do they spend so much? Well, it's a celebration. A celebration of what? They haven't done anything yet. Let them stay together 20 years and then let's celebrate. I mean, they get married and spend $20,000 and then all of a sudden, a month later, eh, it's not going to work out. Irreconcilable differences. The parents of both of those kids should go take a baseball bat and make sure that they stay together. That's what I say, but then, you know, I'm kind of radical about that. You see, we get caught between here and there and it's hard and it's when... We aren't there yet. That's when we give up. So in Galatians 6, 9, our verse that we read earlier, so let's not get tired of doing what's good. And at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep working. Keep serving. Keep doing the things that God's called you to do. Jesus isn't back yet. Now what? Keep doing the right things. Parents, <coughs> it is a difficult task to raise your children in the culture in which we live. They have influences on them that are amazing. More than many, most of us ever had. You've got to reason with them. You've got to talk with them. You've got to get in their life. They're going to hate you. Oh, they'll say that. I hate you. You don't trust me. You're right. It's really not them that you don't trust. It's the people around them that you don't trust. But you've got to pour the Word of God into them. But you see, they, they don't need to hear it from you. They need to see it in you. 
If they don't see it in you, why are they going to follow it? Why are they going to listen to it? So mom, dad, you've got to live it. Breathe it. If you're under 25, listen very carefully. Most people are walking around with regrets over poor decisions and bad situations that happened in their life. If you're under 25, I could take you up and down each row and I'll bet you they, people would give you the top three things that they wish they could do over. Because we all make mistakes. The great news is, if they're not bad enough, harmful enough, we can overcome them. Some of them we bear the rest of our life. But the great news is, at the cross, they're all taken away. <laughs> the slate's clean at the cross, amen? I'm so grateful. Because we've all got a past we just didn't forget. And the evil one is the only one that keeps bringing that up to remind us of our past. Jesus nailed it to the cross. Leave it there. Leave it there. At work, it means we're missionaries. Communicating that work, the work that we do has God attached to it. I opened this series by telling you a story about a guy being at home for the first time and all by himself, and he started blasting the radio and jumping on the furniture. Remember that story? And then his mom came home unexpectedly because he wasn't looking for her. Well, that's a, that story kind of leads us into where we are today because some Christians have gotten so complacent that they're going to miss Jesus. They'll miss Him because they're so self-absorbed and not ready for His return. Every chapter of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, be ready for His return. It could come. It could happen in any moment. In the twinkling of an eye, He could come. While we're here in church, He could come. This would be a good place for us to be while He comes, <laughs> by the way. But it could happen on your way home. Tonight, while you're watching a football game, as Denver tries to take down Kansas City again, Brother Aaron's been praying for weeks. Jesus died for you. Don't forget it. He died for you so that you could experience His love, His grace, His mercy. So I want to give you an opportunity as we get ready for our invitation. Every week we offer an invitation. I want you to have that same opportunity that we do every week. If you're here and you need Jesus to be the master of your life, you need to come. If you're here and want a church home, I can't recommend a better one. We're not, we're not perfect people here. We're just forgiven. We're doing our best to love you the way Jesus does. If you're here and just need prayer, that's what these front seats are open for. I want you to come just get on your knees and pray. Nobody's going to bother you. Nobody's going to say a word to you. You just come and call out to God. But you can do that from right where you are too. The key is if you have a decision to make, if you have something in your life that you need some help from God with, now's the time to get it. Pray with me if you would. Father, we thank you.